0: This is Donald P. Belisario, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey, everyone. Chris here, and we interrupt our regularly scheduled Quantum Leap Podcast to bring you this QLP Spotlight Special. Now, for those of you who may not know... Long before the revival series that we're all enjoying now of Quantum Leap, there was another planned Quantum Leap reboot project called A Bold Leap Forward. Now, the details of this revival have remained shrouded in mystery until now our very own Matt Dale has landed an exclusive interview with the writer of that pilot Trey Calloway. Matt got in touch with Trey in the course of researching his Beyond the Mirror image books, and he and Trey hit it off, and apparently Trey was finally ready to tell the story about the genesis of this project, and why it ultimately failed to make the leap, so to speak. So, thank you, Trey, and way to go, Matt, in rediscovering this lost bit of Quantum Leap history. This is the kind of stuff that we fans live for, and we couldn't do it without the help of our amazing producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Breckmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. If you want to be like these cool cats, go to patreon.com slash quantum podcast to learn more about how you can support the show and help us unearth these amazing bits of quantum leap history. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: Hello, Leapers. Welcome to the Quantum Leap podcast. I'm Matt Dale. Now, on the podcast, we regularly talk about the classic series, and we talk all the time about the new series, but it's so rare that we talk about what happened in between. And I'm really excited today because uh, here to help us shine a light on a key part of that era, is accomplished writer and producer trey calloway Uh, trey welcome to the show
2: thank you very much for having me matt
1: thanks so much for coming on now um for those of you that don't know uh the name in terms of the the quantum leap link uh, trey had a pilot script in production in the early 2000s called a bold leap forward and that would have been a a resurrection for the sci-fi channel of quantum leap it would have seen sammy joe sammy joe beckett stepping into the Quantum Leap Accelerator to track down her father. Um, It's a fantastic script. Uh, I I got the chance to read it back when I was researching for the first edition of my book about seven years ago. I have been dying to speak to Trey ever since. So um, I'm really, really glad to have you here. And uh, why don't we dive right in? Can you tell me, I I assume to have got involved in a project like this, you had to have been a fan of Quantum Leap originally. Were, Were you a fan of the show in the 90s? What was your... What was your introduction to to all of that world?
2: I was absolutely a fan of the original series and watched uh, most, if not all, of its episodes and uh, and uh, but definitely was not only a fan, but as a as a writer working uh, in Hollywood. Um, it was funny because I lost track of how many times in in meetings I would have with studio executives or network executives. Um, I lost track of how many times that one of two scenarios would happen. Either I would pitch some kind of anthology series and they would say, that's really great. If only it were quantum leap, like we would really, (laughs) you know, or or I would I I would be brought in uh, to to uh, develop ideas for different, you know, uh, uh, anthology series of sorts and and again the same name would be raised you know this is this is great we really love this what we're really looking for is another quantum leap and and uh and so you hear that enough times and then you just start thinking to yourself why can't we just reboot quantum Mm -hmm. leap already right so (laughs) i had kind of filed that away in my head and up to that point i i don't think i even if i knew anyone who had worked on the original series i i I actually, I don't think I, I did, um, but but it was something that just in the back of my mind, I always thought, gosh, as a fan of the show, I, I would really love to see uh, a reboot of that and to sort of be have an opportunity to pick up the torch and carry it, and and then all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> maybe in a be careful what you wish for scenario, uh, I got a phone call. Uh, uh, my agents got a phone call uh, gauging my interest in in potentially uh coming in to pitch ideas to um uh, to sci-fi uh for a potential um relaunch of quantum leap so i went in and i met with them first and they made clear to me what they were what they were hoping to do which was to create an original uh two-hour movie a backdoor pilot uh into um into a relaunch of the series and that they were partnered with USA Cable, which is an extension of Universal and, uh, and, uh, and they wanted to know if I was interested. And I said, absolutely. And they said, Well, great. Um, This is this is they kind of gave me the lay of the land in that two hour uh, backdoor pilot, they wanted to sort of create have a writer create new machinery for, you know, a new engine to drive the series moving forward. Um, they, they told me right up front that, um, that Scott Bakula would probably not be available, uh, for, for this particular, uh, relaunch. And if, if so, it would only be for that pilot film. Um, and so I, I knew that about, uh, you know, the architecture moving forward and they made it clear to me that they wanted to have at least two leaps inside of this two hour movie, And Ideally, it would be great if one of those leaps could just be a fun romp and the other leap could be a little uh, more weighty uh, in its subject matter. And so with that information, I went off uh, to sort of try and uh, put my thoughts together. And I did. And uh, I I came back to them with uh, a pitch for how I would approach the material, which they absolutely loved. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then it took a few unexpected turns from there. Well,
1: I, I'm, I'm really intrigued. Even just going back before that you, you were approached for this. Um, now at the time, uh, I, if, if I'm writing thinking at that point, you were known for writing a couple of your own things. Uh, I still know what you did last summer, lost in Oz, that not going into somebody else's universe and, Creating a reboot with a—you've uh, you, just mentioned a lot of a lot of tick boxes that you were given, and maybe it's because I—I I, I don't know how those other projects that you were involved in at the time started, but I imagine you had a lot more creative freedom. So, what do you think caused them to approach you? And how did you feel about being approached with "All right, here's what we want you to do, and do this, 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 this"? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it might have been in part because of I Still Know, which, of course, was a sequel. Uh, mm-hmm. So sure. you know, that speaks to an ability to to sort of carry a torch forward. Um, but but also, you know, I, I had worked uh, I, I had created a series called Mercy Point, um, which was short lived. It was a big science fiction uh, project that um, uh, that we shot in Vancouver. And I had had some interactivity with some of the sci fi people as a result coming out of that. And, that, that, you know,
1: was, that was the ER
2: in space kind of thing, right? That's the Is way it? the critics often ah. describe it, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry uh, if that was a cliche, but yes. Oh, no, no, it's fine. I, I <laughs> Listen, I would have been happy to have the success of ER. Um, <laughs> the, um, you know, the series starred Joe Morton, I inherited the crew from the X-Files, and uh, and yeah. I, it was a big, big, a very expensive, ambitious sci-fi uh, medical hybrid drama that, um, was probably in retrospect. I mean, it had a few things working against it. It was on UPN, which was always sort of a struggling network of sorts. Uh, it was developed to be a companion piece to star Trek Voyager. And if that had, in fact, been the case, I might still be on the air today, but, uh, but the, the affiliates had a big revolt that season and wanted a lot of programming for young teen women. And we didn't fit that mold. And then we debuted again, the, the highest rated World series in history up to that point so all right. sorts of there but that's not what we're here to talk about but I think the combo of the sci-fi and um the influences or ability there and then again the sort of being able to to carry a story forward uh albeit in the horror genre with I still know that probably put me on some radars and and I'm sure this was you know it was a, because it was a coveted piece of uh, intellectual property that the studio owned. I'm sure I was not by far the only writer to be approached uh, with this material. Uh, That's usually the case in Hollywood. But, you know, uh, the good news is the take that I came back into um, USA Cable and the sci-fi with, uh, both of those entities were really excited about. They felt like, you know, this notion of having Al remain for the new series, uh, setting up that Sam is still out there leaping about um, but then using drawing directly from the Canon to to introduce this character of Sammy Joe and let her be our young female lead working in cahoots with Al to not only leap into people's lives and carry out that torch forward, but to create this longer, ranging arc of a girl in search for her father and trying to save her father, uh, that clicked with them. And, uh, what also, uh, it didn't surprise me. I mean, there's a total of four leaps in the script. Uh, there's a script that opens it, uh, which is sort of a teaser in which we do get to see a brief cameo from, uh, from Sam. Uh, and then there is that lighter hearted, uh, uh, leap uh, which which they were looking for which in this case was uh, a leap into uh 1985 and uh, the reality of uh the concert spectacular known as live aid um, and then there was a a, a third uh, much weightier leap uh into the body of a security guard who's just been fired for being too alarmist uh on uh, on September 10th of 2011, so a day before the 9-11 attacks. Uh, and then there's a fourth brief uh, leap in the close that takes us back to the 1980 Olympic Games. But, um, you know, they really loved it. They loved the pitch. They loved the the the, the machinery behind, you know, how I wanted to carry the show forward. And, uh, and so then there was one last, well, not last, but one new hurdle that I had to clear, um, which was since since both studio and today's or the network sci-fi and and the studio USA was really happy with my pitch. Uh, I had I had one more ring uh, to kiss, uh, as they informed me, and that was the ring of Don Bellisario himself, the the creator of the series. And so he was not someone I had ever met prior. Uh, his legend certainly preceded him, and I knew lots of people who had worked for him. But I had never uh, had the, the privilege of meeting him. So uh, a meeting was set. Uh, and the good news is the studio and the network were kind of my advancement in that process. They, they made it clear to Don that I had, I had come up with a take that both of them really, really liked. Um, and, uh, but you know, I had to go and, and give him my spin. And uh, in a in a a slightly more brief form uh, less detailed than I had given uh the other folks, but nonetheless he wanted to hear it and uh but I think it was more about giving him the confidence that I was a storyteller with the passion and the skills uh, that made me capable of of carrying out the task and so. Uh, the first surprise in that process was going to meet with Don Belisario, who at the time had uh, an office at a, a small but historic uh, lot in Hollywood called Sunset Gower. And uh, I, I, had, I think I had been to Sunset Gower a few times. It was a little bit run down, but again, very historic. And uh, and I, the first surprise was in pulling into the parking lot. Uh, I went through the security gate. I was told where to park. I parked in the space, the lot that I was, uh, uh given. And as I opened the door to my car, uh, and looked down to the pavement to step out three, $100 bills, uh, two, two were sitting there. A third one kind of was starting to blow by. And I, I looked down and I saw a wad of cash, basically. And I got out of my car and I looked around wondering if I was being punked in some way. Uh, but in fact, there was no one anywhere around me. And uh, and so in that moment, I, I laughed to myself because I thought, well, even if I don't get this gig, uh, I've essentially been paid to take the meeting. <laughs> and, uh, and so like any good self-respecting Hollywood writer, I picked up those $300 and put them in my pocket. So I felt like I was already ahead of the game. That was surprise number one. Um, and then I went to Don's office, uh, which I'll never forget because uh, I don't know if, I, I wouldn't suggest that this was by design, but it was it was a very intimidating space to walk into uh, in that his entire office was ringed with all of the awards that he had won. So you were, you were walking into a hall of triumph uh, and you know, you were, uh, you were immediately and very visually informed, uh, about someone's success and, um, and where you were in the pecking order. So that was, that was, uh, slightly intimidating, but, um, but he was, he couldn't have been warmer and, uh, and he acknowledged right up front that like, well, I'm hearing from, uh, from the suits as it were, that you've got, you've got a great take on this. And, uh, and so he wanted to hear it. Well, he wanted to hear about myself first. So I told him a little about myself and then he wanted to know, uh, the, what, what my take was. And I gave it to him and he was clearly engaged. He, he was enthusiastic about it. And, uh, and he said, well, great, uh, go with God. You've got my blessing. And, uh, you know, they're there, those are the bosses in charge, but you know, I appreciate you taking the time to come and and give me a, a sense of what you're thinking. And and I really felt at that moment, like this was a guy who had, I think at the time, two shows on the air at the same time. I think JAG was still on and, and NCIS was on. Um, and uh, he was a very busy guy. And uh, and so I knew the sense that I had was twofold. Uh, one, that he was very busy and two, that he was too busy to really pay a lot of close attention to a reboot of quantum leap at that point. Not that he wouldn't have been involved. Um, but just, I, I, I got the sense that like, yeah, I was going to be getting most of my marching orders from, from the studio and the, and the network. So, and that's fine. I was used to that, uh, process. And so then off I went and, uh, I wrote the two hour pilot and I have to say, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, uh, the process uh, of doing it, it was fun to sort of again carry that torch for for Sam and Al. It was also really fun to breathe new life into the creation of this character of Sammy Joe. Um, it was, you know, the 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 first of the two major leaps, excluding the teaser and the and the epilogue leaps. The the first of the two major leaps was fun for me as well, not just because I'm a music fan always have been, and a big fan of concerts. Live Aid is one of those that I missed, sadly. I watched it on TV with most of the rest of the world. And so, But I'd never gotten to be there in person, so it was fun to sort of place myself there. Um, and it was inspired, at least, uh, I don't know that I can call this a spoiler alert, since none of your uh, your listeners and viewers will will have read this script the way you have, because you're you're on a very short list of people who have read the script. Um, but she, you know, Sammy Joe uh, jumps into the bottom or into the body of a teenage girl who's in a terrible relationship she shouldn't be in. and long story short, um, when her ugly boyfriend is arrested, she recognizes through a series of circumstances that the guy she's really meant to be with is inside the Live Aid concert and she's in the parking lot outside. So she and Al have to conspire to figure out how to get her in there. And then in a crowd of 100,000 plus people, she has to find this guy she's supposed to be with. And uh, that co- that culminates in her literally making her way onto the stage in the middle of performances and interrupting rock stars. One of whom is the 80s legend, Rick Springfield. And he's not there by accident. He's there because I had just met with him a few months prior uh nice. for a project and uh and ultimately uh, we weren't able to make it work for that project but in the back of my mind I, I was already thinking about quantum leap things and i thought god this is great i'm gonna he's still around i'm gonna put him on stage and uh you, you would have had him play his younger self would have had him play him checker himself. style nice. and then and then of course you know uh by design his immortal classic jesse's girl plays directly into mm-hmm. the narrative. so yeah so um so that was really fun to to execute and um you know and then the the second leap uh into the body of um a Pakistani security guard uh on the eve of 9/11 uh was also I mean that's <laughs> literally playing uh, on hollowed ground and um and I I think my favorite part about working on that particular story was you know being very mindful of of the pain and the 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 gravitas of that story being very respectful of of that event but it gave me in a weird way a perfect opportunity to to stay true to i think the spirit of the original series and i and i think al al has look i'm the worst at at remembering my own dialogue and this is many years ago so but I, if I recall correctly, there's, there's a line somewhere in there where, where Al says to Sammy Joe, in so many words, it's the notion of if, if you want to make a big difference in people's lives, you have to focus on just that, the people. And, yeah. and to me, that was, that was a hallmark of the original series that I, that I really always connected with. And so, you know, this, this security guard has to go through this process of recognize, recognizing Sammy Joe. more importantly, has to go through this process of recognizing that she cannot stop the fateful events that are going to happen 24 hours from now. But she does have a very, very important role to fill in reuniting a family. Um, and so uh, that, was, uh, that was really interesting. It was challenging, but ultimately really satisfying uh, to work on.
1: And I don't think we've really fully set the scene in terms of the the timeline of all this. This was um so I I gather the the rumours of this started around two thousand and two, and the the script that I've seen was dated two thousand and three. Yeah. So this nine eleven was a very recent memory. So yeah, that was a that that was a brave choice. It must have been very very tough to write.
2: It was uh, it was very tough to write, uh, and you're right. Uh, the The paint was still very, very fresh, and mm. uh, and and so I, I'll be honest. When I went in to pitch it initially, I thought it, it's probably not going to fly, and I had backup mm. ideas at the ready. Um, but I think the studio and the network, both to their credit, recognized that no, that was true to the spirit of the original series, and as long as we were we were not going to make it about. You know, recreating the horrors of that day, and we were going to keep our cameras aimed elsewhere and let the theater of the mind and people's very recent memories carry the weight of of that tragedy. Then, then we would be in the right place. And um, so, yeah, I credit where it's due. They were they were very supportive of that, and and so was Don. Um. So then, yeah, I, I I wrote the script and I turned it in. Uh, the studio and the network. And and then I was very pleased uh, to hear back from both of them that it was uh, exactly what they were looking for. Um, They're really excited about it. And sci-fi in particular, who was still relatively new at that point on the scene. Uh, They were really, uh, they wanted to get really aggressive about production and, I don't remember. You, it may be on the script that you have. I, it, I, if it says 2003, maybe it even gives you a month. Um, uh, June, July. Okay, so mm-hmm. that sounds yeah, about probably. right because, uh, because I remember then what they were saying to me was, could you be ready uh, to shoot in uh, Australia? This is where they wanted to shoot. Uh, could you be ready to shoot in Australia uh, as early as September, October? So, um, of course, the only answer there is yes. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, understanding the understanding contractually and otherwise was that I was going to be uh, producing this thing as well and, and functioning as the showrunner moving forward. And so um, so what uh, they, they wanted to know that I was available immediately. And uh, the only thing that they were waiting on was hearing from Mr. Belisario what his uh what his reaction to the material was. And I think he was traveling at the time, so there was a little bit of a lag, a week or so, two maybe at the outside. And then uh a meeting was set uh for me to have lunch with Don. And um and this is where uh I should preface everything I say next with the fact that, and it's fun because I, ha- I haven't I have thought about this project in so many years, Matt, and I really appreciate the opportunity to go back because it's not often, at least it's not often that I go back to this kind of old material. Um, I've kind of always, I'm one of those people who always has my eyes focused on what's next. Um, and I'm also, I should say, a huge fan, uh, uh, Stephen Lillian and Brian Winbrandt, uh, uh, who you know, co-created and ran, run the new show um, are, are friends of mine. We've worked together. We worked together for a number of seasons on CSI New York and have stayed in touch and uh, saw them both on the strike lines over this past summer. And um, and so uh, yeah, I, I remain a fan of the series to this day in its new incarnation as well. And I think it's great what they've done with it. But I, this is one of those moments that I'm about to talk about where I don't I don't know a writer in this business who doesn't have some version of this kind of story to tell? Uh, and it's it's maybe only vexing for me because you know, look, I've worked in all kinds of genres. I've written westerns and horror and sci-fi and action comedy and serialized soap and animation. And you know, I'm sure a, a good shrink could point to the common threads in all of it. But I am one of those writers who who likes to mix it up and tell different kinds of stories. But this is a very common story in most working writers careers which is that you have these hopefully it's only one and i think this is one of the only ones for me and it's probably the biggest one uh you'll have a job that that becomes a mystery to you and vexes you for the entirety of your the rest of your career um and that's probably uh, it's probably more challenging for someone like me who's actually written mysteries before you know, I know how to do that. But I, so I control those things on the page, but I can't control real life, right? Which is the curse yeah. of every real writer. Okay. So with that set up, I go and I have lunch with Mr. Belisario. And it's a very nice lunch uh, in a very nice restaurant. And he sits across from me, across the white linen table from me. And he spends, I'm going to say, 45 solid minutes of the lunch extolling the virtues of my script um, really really uh, quelling over the choices that I'd made, the way I had honored the characters and the concept really made me feel good to be honest. Um, and it really mattered to me what he had to say about this and uh, and he was he couldn't have been more complimentary and then he, He said, I want to give you a couple of adjustments. And he was careful to say, to use that term. And it's always stuck in my mind. He said, I don't think of these as notes. They're really adjustments. Um, And the adjustments that he gave me were about some relatively arcane details in the original series that I'm not sure even even a, a true fan, an audience member who'd watched every episode would necessarily have retained. Uh this is the kind of information that only if you had been directly responsible for produce, writing and producing the show you would probably know. But they were helpful nonetheless. You know, it was little details about years and names and times and you know, it, it was clear that he he had a very strong memory of those details and he wanted to make sure that I got them right because in a show about time travel that's that's important. So Uh, so I wrote all that down dutifully at the table. And, uh, and then the last thing he said at the end of our lunch was, well, great, man. Uh, I gotta tell you, you've made this job, uh, easy for me because, uh, I got a lot going on right now and I don't really have time to focus on this. So go work with those guys again, go find a director. Do you have any directors in mind? And I, I did, I spoke to him about some director possibilities and he said great well they're obviously motivated they want to get this ball rolling they want you to go shoot so you know uh i'll stay in the loop but job well done go knock it out of the park so i uh when i tell you i kind of floated out of that restaurant i did i I, because you know i i felt like well there there you go there's there's three in a row i i I, I pleased the studio, I pleased the network, and I pleased the creator of the series. And so I I then excitedly started making calls to directors, uh, checking availability on people, doing my homework about uh, Australia and production there. And about two weeks later is when the mystery begins. Uh, about two weeks later, I got a call from my agents at the time. Uh, who said, what happened with Quantum Leap? I said, uh, well, I'm in the middle of uh, meeting with directors and uh, working through details with studio and network on production. And uh, and then it was explained to me that all of that was going to be put on hold because Don had called... Uh, the president at sci-fi to say he wanted to bring in a couple of writers who had worked on JAG to start over on the quantum leap two-hour pilot movie. And I, at first I thought this was a joke to be honest. Um, but it wasn't. And, uh, so then I wound up speaking with the powers that be at sci-fi where it was explained to me, that for reasons which confused them and vexed them, Don had had some kind of change of heart and had reached out and uh, to, the, to the network directly and said, you wanted to start over and he wanted to bring in a couple of JAG riders. And the network's response was, but we're really happy with what Trey has done and the studio is really happy with what Trey has done. And by all accounts and measurements, you're really happy with what Trey has done. And, you know, we've paid him already to do this and we're not really, we don't have an appetite to pay anybody else to do it. So if you want to rewrite it for any reason, or you feel a need to rewrite it, of course, that's your prerogative uh, as the creator and we have a deal with you, but otherwise we're not, we're, we're not motivated to start over again. And, uh, and that my friend is where the project died. Um, Um, I, I never heard another word about it. Uh, if another draft was generated by him or anybody else, it mm. never saw the light of day. Um, and it's one of those great mysteries where, I, you know, part of me wanted to reach back out to him directly and, and say, mm. was I high? Was I drunk? <laughs> Did I miss something? But, uh, you know, mm. I... It, wasn't worth it at the end of the day. Mm. I, you know, I, I certainly didn't. It, it was always his prerogative. It's his one of his babies. I was honored to be invited to the table and to try and carry that torch forward. Uh, you know, uh, creative artists, myself included, change their minds all the time. I, you know, who knows what any of his reasons were uh, for 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 arriving at this. Uh, decision, but it ultimately died there, and then it was it was kind of frustrating. It, I mean, look at the whole thing was kind of shocking and painful for me just to get to have gotten that excited about it. But I think what was harder for me ultimately was that, in some ways, was that the script, and I still don't know how this happened, but the script had leaked uh, online, and I remember what's the guy's name, Harry 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 Knowles. The Ain't It Cool uh, website got a hold of it and you know uh, gave it rave reviews and detailed analysis of the story and script and and then I started getting you know calls for interviews and I I just I I didn't want to talk about it right and I'm, I'm willing to talk about it now many years later because I've obviously. Moved on, but your your call about coming to uh, speak with you on your podcast about it finally just sort of brought a lot of it back, and and it really gave me an opportunity to, especially as someone who's run shows of my own, like uh, you can't always point to a definitive reason why people change their minds, why artists change their minds. You know, I, I have painter friends who will paint what I consider to be a beautiful painting, only to then paint over the entire canvas and start <laughs> over again. You know, and and so it's it's incredibly subjective, and um, mm. and so at the end of the day, uh, I was I was pleased and proud to have been asked, like I said, to the table, and I was pleased and proud of what I managed to to create, uh, and you know, the fact that it it never saw the light of day, maybe, maybe that ultimately cleared the path in a way that wouldn't have existed for my friends, Stephen and Brian to, to have their run at the reboot. And, uh, I've kept working and, you know, I'm sure Don is enjoying retirement, uh, and, uh, and life goes on, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: You, you've had obviously plenty of your own successes. I'm, I'm just, uh, I thank you for sharing all that because that, I felt that as you were just going through that, I, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so I mean, it was, I, a, bold
2: leap. It was a bold leap forward in a variety of ways, but uh, <laughs> yeah. ultimately yeah. didn't stick the landing.
1: I'm, I am intrigued um, by th- this. This was obviously such a tight turnaround. Yeah, I've just checked the, the script that I saw, which is probably the same script that Harry saw was uh, in June, and you saying that they were hoping to film a few months later if you're able or willing to talk about it, and I understand if, if you don't, had you got as far as thinking about casting for Sammy Joe? You said you were looking at directors as well. Is there any names that you're you willing to share in terms of who you were thinking or?
2: Yeah, no, look, I, I had met with a few different directors and really was zeroing in on, on a dear, dear friend of mine, Michael Cattleman, who had actually directed the pilot mm-hmm. of Mercy Point and was uh, the producing director for that series. And... We've remained close over all these many years, and and he was somebody who uh, is not only an extremely skilled and talented director, but someone who, uh, like me, has a deep thirst for adventure. And so I thought, well, if anybody could like hit the ground running with me, uh, it would be him. So uh, he was the the first name that I brought up to Don at the table, and Don was familiar with his work and thought it was a good call. Um and so he had been talking with me a lot about the project, but we had not gotten, thankfully, had not gotten as far as casting because that would have been, you know, painful for those folks involved too. Um, so we hadn't we hadn't gotten there yet because it was just a couple of weeks outside of this uh, uh, this wonderfully positive meeting uh, or series of meetings. But uh, yeah, that's as far as it got, my friend. And then the, the script sat there, and then it's funny I was. Um, uh, a few years ago, I was uh, one of the producers of Station 19, which is a successful uh, spinoff of Grey's Anatomy uh, here in the States that I think is in its seventh season now, and um, <clears throat> a fire rescue show. And uh, one, of my, one of my co-writers on that series um, or colleagues on that series was a huge quantum leap fan and he had heard about the legend of this two-hour pilot film and so he was like do you do you still have that script could i read it i said yeah and that was actually the first time in many years that i had taken it out and blown the dust off and uh and i gave it to him and he was incredibly effusive uh kind of a tough critic uh too in general in the room but like he was incredibly effusive uh after he read it, which was, which was heartening because I hadn't read it myself in many years. And that was my first opportunity or the first opportunity I had taken to go back and reread it. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like going back to visit with an old girlfriend that you were once in love with and hadn't seen in years, you run into them at the grocery store. And, uh, so that was a, that was a positive experience. And so, uh, you know, again, when you called for this, I was like, yeah, sure. Let's talk. Active <laughs> limitations. Uh, I, I'll go ahead and tell the the real story for the first time.
1: Thank you for sharing it, and yeah, take it from this fan as well. Uh, I I love the script as well. Um, I mean, I so I, I read it in twenty sixteen. I was researching for a book, and at that point, it looked like Quantum Leap was never coming back. And then when yeah. I discovered this and read the script, I thought it could have done. It really <laughs> could have done, and this this could have been the launching pad. So um things work out for a reason though and uh you you have clearly gone on to so many amazing projects um i would love to know maybe maybe a, a couple of the highlights of of your career over the last uh couple of decades since then and also really what what you've got coming up because i know you've got some other projects coming up i know the, the fans would love to hear what you're up to now and uh see where they can they can track down your current work
2: Well, thank you. Uh, Well, when I'm not watching the new reboot of Quantum Leap, I um, am, and uh, as a fan, once and always fan, uh, I am, uh, I have continued working a lot through the years and uh, have worked on, uh, you know, since then, it was six years and 130 episodes of CSI New York and Revolution, the science fiction drama on NBC and uh, Supernatural, uh, long running series where I created the Ghost Facers. Uh, uh, I, you know, uh, APB was a series I ran for Fox, which is sort of a, a um, high concept crime drama. And I ran a, a serialized uh, genre driven soap called The Messengers on the CW. Um, most recently, I was one of the executive producers of 911 Lone Star. I've also been doing a huge amount of international work for Imagine and for uh, Amazon and for Netflix, working with uh, a variety of filmmakers in ten different countries, uh, helping them launch their shows. I'm um, I am a professor uh, of almost 18 years at the at the School of Cinematic Arts at the University of Southern California. So. I've been doing that for quite a while now too. And right now I am working on a new pilot for Netflix, which I would love to tell you more, but I, I'm not allowed to. It's based on a best-selling mm-hmm. novel, I can say that much. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm also working on a project uh, based on uh, something written by uh, the extraordinary novelist Stephen King. So I, I, would love to, I would love to tell you more about that when I can, but got to keep my mouth closed uh, for now, but staying very, very busy. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, at this point, I think I've written and sold 24 pilots or so, but um, you have you have given me the gift of allowing me to go back to one of those. And, uh, and even though it didn't end the way I would have dreamed it would end, or maybe the fans would have dreamed it would end. uh, Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm delighted with with the way the work turned out, and I was and I remain happy with the experience of of having at least gotten as far as I did. So, uh, you know, maybe in an alternative universe somewhere, uh, I'll have an opportunity to leap into, uh, <laughs> into what what might have been if this had actually relaunched the series back in 2003 instead of present day.
1: Well, you have given us the gift of uh, half an hour of a, a unique, a truly unique insight. And uh, I thank you so much for your time and for, for being so open and honest about your experiences. It's It's been fascinating and, uh, and a genuine joy to talk to you. So, Trey, thank you for spending time with us on the show today.
2: My absolute pleasure. Keep leaping.